Welcome to another episode of Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and theology of the Lutheran Reformation all over a nice cold beer. I'm Mike Agley. And I am Evan Gertner. So today we're going to be continuing with our discussion on the, uh, the what, which, uh, this is the third Sunday in Advent, the epistle for the third Sunday in Advent, picking up um, at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. All right, I'll, I'll do the whole reading. Sounds good. This is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, historic one-year lectionary, third Sunday in Advent. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So, like I mentioned, uh, today we're going to be picking up, we've already had a couple of episodes on the epistle, um, and so we're going to be picking up at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And Luther has a little bit different uh, translation than the more modern translation. Well, let's read what Luther says. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human day. And it, that translation is the same except for the last word. Right. So right. day instead of court. And he gives some explanation of what it means to be judged by any human day. Uh, but let's put a frame on this whole episode. It's going to be looking at that word judgment, how we judge one another, but more importantly, how we judge ourselves in standing before God. This is not going to be a lesson in how to find license to criticize and put down other people, nor is it going to be an episode that focuses on how to have great pride and satisfaction in yourself. This lesson is going to remind us it's Christ. It's Christ who judges. And uh, as we look to ourselves to try to find standing before God, we always have to do so by standing with Christ. So the one thing Luther starts out with here is he starts out by saying, hey, you know, well, first of all, he goes into the bigger context. If you look at the at Corinthians, it's, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ, all this other kind of stuff. And this is part of that discussion. And so when, when Paul is saying, you know, it's a small thing uh, that I should be judged by you, what Luther interprets that to mean is that it's a small thing that I should be praised by you. Because he points out that in judgment, there's always someone that is judged dishonored, which puts in comparison someone else that then is honored. Judgment places comparison. And he isn't seeing this word judgment here in relationship to the context of punishment but rather how one is rewarded. And it's that whole, I'll say, activity of totem polling people. Yes. Putting people on a totem pole. Oh, you're above, you're below. You know, Paul and Luther have nothing to do with that. They, the, and what Paul, what Paul is saying here, according to Luther, is that you know, all of that stuff is meaningless. This judgment, or what he would mean as praising, this desire to find who we follow, as praiseworthy than bringing back honor to us is the problem in Corinth. And he 
he has this echo back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, where he talks about how some follow Peter and Apollos, and in all of that, what they are doing is trying to find validation for what they are doing by who they follow. You know, it's funny because especially when I was a much younger Christian, I had a bad habit of like, oh, I like this pastor. I don't like that pastor. I, and, and it was, you know, I did, I, I had the same problem that the people in Corinth are having here where I would totem pole the different pastors and I would pick one above the other. And that, that, that's just so wrong. That is so wrong, and you know it's it sort of loses sight of the fact that it's not the pastor; it's the word that's spoken. That it's you, you it, the the word is outside of the pastor, and the word is outside of us, and it's that word at work, the God God's word at work through the pastor that is working on us. And so this Luther at different times talks about, hey, your your pastor could be a total scoundrel. That doesn't matter. If he's, you know, when he speaks the word, it is, it is the word that does the work. So this word human day, you may have thought, well, they brought up human day and human court, and then they went off and started talking about this judgment. But this day that then gets by English uh, standard version translated as court is really instrumental in this idea of this present moment of how do you get compared in the present and he's wanting to say you can in any human day evaluate me but don't do that judging me by the day that we are in judge one another by the eternity that christ will bring that is such a a a valuable way to look at it to take it out of the moment and to the eternal and luther backs all this up Uh, he spends uh, a couple of paragraphs Backing it up with scripture. Yeah, that interpretation of day as a court setting. Not just judicial court, but rather the court of public opinion. And well, I mean, we could go through that. You know, Luther lists Jeremiah. He lists lists John. He he lists uh, just all sorts of different readings that back that up. And, and it's, again, it's this, this whole idea, and this is some, one of the things really love, at least, I, I think we both love this about the early Luther writings, like, like the postals, the winter postals, is that Luther is in a period of time where he has to back up everything he says with Scripture. Because he wants what he teaches to be foundational in the Scriptures, but he also knows his audience may not have that great shared reference point of the scriptures. And I would say most Christians today don't have that great shared, they, they don't have the depth of understanding of scriptures. They have not memorized the scriptures where they can pick out, oh yeah, John said that here, oh, Jeremiah said that. We're all on this journey of learning, and so having this backup is, is helpful in Luther's day, and I think it's very helpful today. And it's it's not that he's doing this like laundry list of scripture passages as if I've got more passages than you. Each passage he references, he places it into some context. Uh, he'll talk, for instance, about how Holy Scripture calls kings and princes uh, glorious. That is a brightness or a gloria. And how St. Peter says about the Pope and his adherents that they slander and curse the glorious ones. And how 
that is a excommunicated, cursed majesties, kings, princes. That Gloria is just a word that talks about brightness. And, but then how does that word then get moved into this language of princes or kings? He does this in Scripture. He shows the path of it in 2 Corinthians and Matthew 5. So after Luther does that, he backs up his position. He goes back to Paul. And this is returning to the point that Evan made a few minutes ago, where this, this concept of the day and what Luther is saying is that he, he says, you know, don't focus on today. Don't focus on what's happening. Focus on Christ and his eternal, what, what happens in his eternal judgment. And that's that. And what, one of the things that Paul, at least Luther, believes Paul was struggling with in this time was that, you know, you have all these people praising him and he's not really buying it. You know, he's not really like, you know, praising them back or he's not like making them his followers and, you know, putting them on a little higher pedestal than the rest. No, no. And, and so Paul, at least the way Luther sees things, Paul could have been seen as a little bit of an ingrate in all of this. And that, that sort of gets into, you know, when this whole idea of flattery, right? When, when somebody flatters you, most likely they want something. And Luther's sort of tapping into that a little bit. So Paul says, I give no attention to whether I am praised by you. No, I'm sorry, this isn't what Paul says. This is how Luther is interpreting these words. So Luther's translation. I give no attention to whether I'm praised by you in all the world. People seek that. But Christ's servants and God's stewards should wait on Christ and on the divine judgment. And so that's, that's kind of the lead into verse 4. And I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. He's placing... Paul as someone who, whether you have a, a sack full of bulls, a blessing, a distribution of indulgences, an apostolic seat to give me honor or dignity, no matter what you could give me, it's nothing compared to where I want to be with Christ. Right, right. And so Luther continues on, and he, he then turns his attention to the Corinthians, to the, and he's like, okay, so they want to judge Paul as being somebody special, or Apollos, or whoever, you know, depending on what faction they're in. Um, and they prefer that version of baptism, is the way Luther is interpreting it. That they, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. You, if Apollos baptized me, my baptism's better than your baptism that came from some random guy. Right, right. And, and Paul rejects all of this. And Paul is, Paul is really trying to draw the congregation together. He wants them to be united. He wants them to have all things equal. He wants them to, to hold all things in common. Because that is where, you know, this, this, this totem poling, like going back to that, you know, placing one baptism above the next, really divides the congregation. And, and, and one of the things that's so sad is in, in today's modern church, we've sort of done that with different It's not even just in the modern church. It can happen in the ancient church by looking at oh, the absolutely. laying out of hands and, and the ordination of certain men that this bishop laid hands on them. Or the Eastern Orthodox would have criticism with the Lutheran church because so many of our pastors, including me, couldn't trace our ordination into a legacy of... Uh, that is apostolic, apostolic. Uh, the apostolic lineage, lineage or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. And but Paul rejects this because we have to be united, have all things in, 
equal and common that we need to kind of find a way to find not a creation of sectarian divisions by which person we follow, but emphasize the common gospel instead. It, it really does come down to, and you know, in the conclusion, Luther goes, all the apostles are equally servants of Christ and God's stewards. And that's really what Luther is, the final, the final point. And one of the things, and I don't think he mentions it in this reading, but Luther talks about some of his favorite um, stories of the saints, you know, which it's really hard to find the ancient stories of the saints today. Um, I was actually looking, Luther referenced one of these, and there was some famous saint, Thomas Aquinas or Francis. Of well, he, he does have some reference back to St. Anthony and uh, another saint who God brought to them a humbling moment. And maybe it was in this one where... Yeah. When we get to it, we'll see that. Okay, okay, uh, I'll hold it, off It's going to come on, but he, just as much as he uses scripture and builds that foundation of shared truth that we've got this common gospel together, he does know his audience. And his audience knows these saint stories. Right. And as he brings these saint stories on, and he's not doing so because saints are the authority of the church, but rather there's a shared plot here that um, as you go back to some of these saints, he's like, God was already working the truth in them also. So yeah. we'll see that. Um, the part that's in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, when he says, I do not even judge myself. There is this struggle because Paul, throughout this letter, is going to be establishing the difference between a false doctrine and a true doctrine of why you should be following him rather than following others who have a false doctrine. And so this judgment or this praise that he gets, he says, I do not even judge myself. I don't even praise myself. And yet he's directing us to listen to him. That's something Luther's got to kind of reconcile of how should we listen to Paul if Paul says, I don't even praise myself. Is it disingenuous? Is it a charade? Yeah, this is one of the famous, at least for me, uh, I don't know how famous it is, but this is one of those, because, you know, the famous reading from Paul, I think it's in Romans, you know, you know, wretched man that I am and all yeah. this kind of stuff. You know, he, he goes, it's like, well, oh, that sounds a little bit like you're judging yourself there, Paul. You know, and then he says here, I, I don't even judge myself. And so there's this disconnect that, or an, an, a, we'll say an apparent disconnect. And Luther and Paul are going to, I think, clear this up. So let's, let's dive into that mm -hmm. a little bit. So this is getting into a discussion on Paul's conscience. So it's... Um, so what, Paul's conscience did not allow him to elevate himself or any of the apostles. And this comes down to, I think, that, that concept of hold, when, when we talk about judging, when Paul is talking about, I don't even judge myself, I think what he's trying to say here is, I don't do this comparison thing between me and the other apostles. The praise that we should seek is always that we're following Christ. Right. Don't praise me because of what I've done. You, if you want to praise me, praise me because I pointed you to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and this is, you know, that challenge of how to celebrate what someone has said or done, give praise and glory for the words that they've done, and realize like how Paul finishes in Romans 16. He describes someone, and then he says, and they've been approved by Christ. The approval is that they loved Christ. 
Let that be the way we look to one another. And that is one of the, you know, it really does help with this whole concept of, of judgment. Because if the, the question here and what Paul is trying to differentiate himself against these, these, these other teachers who are, you know, teaching wrong doctrine is they don't point to Christ. They point to themselves, or they point to another apostle, or they point to they point to some, or other, they point to a work, or they point to a work, and you have this this pointing to to created things rather than to Christ, and and so what what Paul is saying is I don't even judge myself against all creation. I only judge myself against my. My as Christ sees me, I I leave the judgment to Christ, and I, I live I live in that 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 way. I guess. And <laughs> Maybe so Luther puts it this way: No one ought to undertake to judge Thank or you. to decide, much less to exalt himself above others because of the temporal power, the property, or friends that they have. And then he goes on to Luther does criticize the Pope. He says the Pope's exalting of himself is contrary to this since they say that his loftiness above others is from God. Paul here denies that. No one can know or judge who is the greatest until the last day. So God's not going to judge on the outward appearances of the power or the property or the friends that you have. And so we can't look to one another and say, that's a person I should follow because of the power he has. That's a person I should follow because of the property he has. Or that's a person I should follow because of the friends that he has. All of those judgments mean nothing to God. One of the things that, the, you know, Luther here talks about the way the Pope builds himself up with the Vatican and with just his, the pomp and circumstance that goes about him wherever he goes. And, and what, what Luther brings, reminds me of, I think, uh, Thomas Jefferson when he was, when he was designing Washington, D.C., uh, when he was laying it out, he, he wanted to lay it out specifically so it was intimidating to foreign dignitaries when they were showing up. And so the whole idea was, you know, there was, there was a whole, you know, concept of where this was going to go to, to sort of place the U.S. In a, in a position of power in these discussions, which makes sense, of course. You know, I'm not against that. I'm just saying that's sort of, that, that was, it was thoughtful. And that's a very human way of approaching things. And, and the, what Luther is saying here is that the Pope is indulging in that, that human perspective, placing himself above others. But Christ and Paul turn that all upside down and, and say, say, you know, that is not the way we, we interact with each other as Christians. It makes me think about vestments and how much vestments in their their grandeur can help identify the authority in the room maybe compared to the word that is spoken identifying and so as young seminary students we were i remember talking about wearing clergy shirts and as a young man in a new congregation where i will look younger than everybody else you know the the suggestion was maybe wear a clergy shirt so everybody remembers you're the pastor Right. And, and then they said, but there will come a time when they remember you're the pastor because of the relationship that you have. They'll remember you're the pastor because of the words you've spoken. They'll remember you're the pastor for all sorts of other reasons. But start with the decoration of the office 
and then grow into living in that office. It, it, and it's a tension there because I, I don't want to play dress up. I, I, want, yeah. I want to have the credibility that I have because of the Christ I point people to. Yeah. But on the first day, they haven't even heard me point to anything. Right. And, and you need all the help you can get fresh out of the seminary. Right. Yeah. So how, how quickly after that first arrival can I trust that they know that I'm the pastor because of the relationships and the words that are spoken and not because of the clothing I wear? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a beer break. It's about 20 minutes into this episode, and uh, maybe you were waiting to drink your beer with us until we got to the beer break. We weren't waiting. We've been drinking <laughs> our beer. <laughs> yes. Uh, today we have a beer from Griffin Claw Brewing Company, uh, which is right here in Birmingham where we are recording this episode. Uh, Griffin Claw went through kind of a rebranding last year and redid their logo and what their cans look like. They were started in 2013. And today we're drinking the Marshmallow Drip. It's an Irish stout brewed with marshmallow cereal. And I think of your Lucky Charms, although I think to avoid any sort of trademark infringement, let's, let's listen to the description here and see if you can hear that trademark phrase, Lucky Charms. Marshmallow Drip, Irish stout brewed with thousands of the finest marshmallows handpicked from the luckiest of cereals. A perfect stout with roasted barley balanced by sweet marshmallow found in limited supply at the end of the rainbow. Did they infringe on the trademark? <laughs> I think they were safe. So what do you think of the beer? You know, I did not have high hopes for this one. I, I, we've had some, um, some rather exotic beers, and when I heard marshmallows, thousands of marshmallows, I, I just didn't have high hopes. But the gimmick beer is sometimes... Like last year, we did a Punsky yeah. beer that that was disappointing. That was disappointing, and, and apologies to anybody. From what I hear, they they sell out every year, and people wait for that beer. It just didn't work. It for tasted us. like syrup. Yeah, and I was expecting the same thing here, but you know, I had the first taste of it, and it it I, it was very very good. It was it's a stout, so the nice thing is is that I think the the the, the deep. Um, the roasted barley, yeah, the deep the, flavor, um, has a lot of texture to it. And then the sweetness of the marshmallows comes on top of that after you taste the roasted barley. Yeah. And the so, order of flavors, I think, is really and, helpful. And it's not a real strong marshmallowy flavor. It's, it's sort of a, a rather light finish that was the, the, the marshmallows. So, you know, we, we, we had a first sip. We had a first sip just before we started recording, and we're about halfway through the recording, and I'm, I think I'm more than halfway through my beer. So I, I, it's a win. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. Okay, let's get back into it, starting at paragraph number 45. This is where Luther goes through this, this sort of question and answer, and I, I sort of like when he does this. He'll, he'll ask a question from his, that he anticipates from his readers and then gives his answer. So the question he asks is, you ask next how Paul could not judge himself since he wanted people to regard him as Christ's servant and a steward of God. I answer, as said above, that the service and the office are not his, but God's, who commended them to him. And so this is getting into where Paul wants to be recognized as a servant of Christ, not as, you know, I've got this capability, I'm so, so smart, I write these great letters. 
He wants to be, first and foremost, a servant of Christ and seen as a servant of Christ. So I can brag, I can confess, I can proclaim a good thing. The good thing that God has given. I don't brag, confess, or proclaim myself. I brag, I confess, and I proclaim the good thing that is Christ. And that's what Christian boasting is about. Not that I boast about myself, but I will always be the person that's preaching Christ and Him crucified. So the next question Luther sets up here is, Do you teach that a Christian should not doubt that he is acceptable before God, and whoever doubts is not a Christian? For faith makes us certain that God is our Father, and as we believe, so it is. So this is the question of certainty, the question of doubt. How, how should a Christian view themselves? Always uncertain, always in doubt, always needing to cling just a little bit more? Or is there something you can be certain about? And he answers, cling firmly to the fact that faith in God's grace is certain. For faith is nothing other than a constant, unquestioning, unwavering confidence in divine grace. So his point is, you can be certain. Yes. You don't need to doubt because your certainty, your confidence isn't rooted in how many good works you've done. I'm never going to be certain if I've done enough. But if your certainty and your confidence is rooted in the unwavering, always constant truth, the divine grace of Jesus Christ, you can be certain in that. Right, right. This, this ability, and, and this gets back to something Luther touches on over and over and over again in his writings, especially in this period of 1521, 1522, is he's, he's touching on, on the character of God. And, and the reason he's doing that is he's talking about God is trustworthy. God cares for you. He loves you. And you can trust that. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about, and this is something that he gets into deeply uh, when he starts talking about uh, John chapter 14, which is going to be one of our future episodes. But he, he's like, you know, his big deal here is, you know, you, you, it's not your works. It's not what you do. It's nothing you think or say or, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's your baptism. It's the sacraments. It's the word. It's though the, the gospel preached to you that saves you. So maybe as you start to evaluate yourself, Paul does this. He says, I'm not aware of anything against myself in verse 4. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Well, let's look at that first phrase. I'm not aware of anything concerning myself. Is so, Paul being false? Is he pretending? No, I mean, we can honestly have a good day. We can, <laughs> right. we can honestly say, today, I don't think I've sinned a great deal today. And if you try to judge me with the worth of a person or the worth of my works, I can have an irreproachable, confident, and great day. But that's... Not the point of judgment. One, one of the interesting things, I'm going through the book of Job at the moment. And, and Job is constantly saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. But then he comes back and he says, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah. And it's that tension. And his friends are like, there must be something you did that you just don't know about. Right, there must be something terrible. No, he, they're coming back and saying, oh, no, 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 no. You know what you did. And it's really terrible for you to deserve this kind of punishment. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. 
And so you, but Job does say at the same time, but I know I am a sinner. And this is because what we do is when we look at ourselves as a Christian, we might, like Evan said, we might have a good day where we look at ourselves as a Christian and say, I can't think of anything I did that was terrible. But when God, but when it, when we step back and we look at it from God's perspective, all we have to do is read Luther's large catechism. We'll pick up, oh, yeah, I fell short every three seconds. And it's ultimately to look at where does the judgment of righteousness come from? It is not a human standard. Right. It is uh, a person's only righteous by their relationship to Christ, so, not by the rela- relationship of good works. Right. And so... Maybe Paul would dare to say that he's not aware of anything against himself. And he could be a person full of good works. And yet, that is not the reason he will be righteous. Right. You and I will never be righteous through the good works that we do. Oh, yeah. And it's not because we can't do enough. It's not that. I mean, we could do a lot of good works. It's just that is never the standard of righteousness for God. It's always relationship to Christ. And it's one of the things of getting into the paragraph 50, I think, Luther comes back to this, this whole discussion on conscience. And he's looking at it and he says, on the, on the horizontal plane, looking, comparing our, you know, looking at amongst people, we can boast of our innocence before people. But then he says, but before God, no. You know, our conscience is insufficient. We can't judge ourselves. We don't know. God has a different perspective on us. So on the horizontal plane, we can say, I, I had a good day today. But we also have to know at the same time on the vertical plane between us and God, there's a whole different... Yeah, don't call on something evil and say, I did this and that's why these things have happened to me. Don't make up evils in your life. Be confident of the good that you've done, but before God, that boast is nothing. God the, demands and he demands and judges your heart, your conscience in relationship to Christ. And it is in that vertical in that vertical relationship that everything hangs on the cross with Christ. We we everything that we have done has died with him and we have been reborn with him in the resurrection. This might be the biggest point of talking past people in the Lutheran Reformation is to try to figure out righteousness uh, boasting and confidence and and everyone who could say well how could you be so confident of your salvation I know what you did on Friday night or someone might even say how can you as a pastor tell me this when I know and they'll bring up something well, I know you had idea. beer with Mike the other day yeah. <laughs> well, depending on what they're judging what yardstick they're using you know some people will judge that right mm-hmm. And, and whether it's a pastor, a pastor's wife, a teacher, a church even, a church could get judged. We, we are going to boast. But let's make sure our boasting's in Christ. Yeah. And, and Christ, Christ's li- life, death, and resurrection for us. So if Paul judges himself, he doesn't find anything wrong. But then he says, it is the Lord who judges me. That is to say, I'm going to wait until God judges and praises me. And it's going to be the one who judges and praises me in Christ. That's the one I want to stand with. And that is the only judgment that ultimately matters. So, you know, we have all these judgments. And what Paul is getting at here, 
is there you know, we're constantly judging one another. We're constantly looking and oh, this person's better, and then we we constantly do this. And and honestly, I'm a manager at work. I have that responsibility. You know, I, I God has given me the responsibility to judge things in in that realm. I was just talking with uh, the board of elders at our shepherd, and they were talking about what do you need help with. I said I need help as a pastor doing job performance evaluations for people I love and care about that are a part of this community of faith, but they also work here. And I said, I find it very difficult because I love them in Christ, and yet how do I evaluate them um, and bring a sense of job performance evaluation to this? Uh, And I said, I I just need help with that. And so several of them are in positions of management, kind of like you are, Mike, and uh, sent me some tools and uh, I think I will always find it hard uh, to mix the relationship of work and the relationship of faith that I have with people. And I haven't quite figured out how to break through that tension. I, I don't think, okay, I can, I've been a manager of people for uh, 35 years or something, 30 years, and um, I, I, it never is easy. It is never easy, especially when you have, and I happen to have a great team at the moment where they're all superstars, and you sort of say, well, I, I, you know, what am I gonna do? You know, so I have these discussions with my manager, and I tell him, listen, I've got three superstars working for me. I got, you know, the, I've got these superstars working for me. I'm not giving them superstar status because I'm not, but I'm letting you know, you know that they're ready for other things. You know? I was reading an article about Ford and how Ford is really trying to improve its quality control. And a couple years ago, they were looking at factories where there were products being produced that were having a number of warranty recalls. And then they looked back and they realized that the heads of these factories all were getting near 100% performance evaluation bonuses. Yeah. And, And there was no delineations between management level of factories where there were low level of warranty recalls and the number that were high. And so immediately they realized we actually be, need to be more honest about our job performance evaluations and bonus credits that we get. That is always hard. That is always hard. And that's sort of where I, I end up as, where you, you and exactly, you, you look at it and you say, you know, these people have all this capability, they're doing all, you know, they're all superstars, but this went wrong, that went wrong. And you sort of hate being that guy, but you gotta be that guy. Anyway. So a little distraction from our text, but this question of judgment is going to move from, I, I could judge myself and I'm great, but I'm always going to know it's the Lord who judges me. Now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, this part of the verse 5. Then each one will receive his praises from God. So Luther comes back and he says, Here we may reasonably ask, are we not supposed to praise one another? Paul does say, outdo one another in showing honor. And this is from Romans 12. And then and he also says, one should consider the other as his superior. Christ says, let your light shine before men uh, so that they may see your good works. So Luther gives all these biblical you know, examples of you know, extraordinary behavior we'll say, or, or good behavior. We'll we say. are supposed to do good work. We're supposed to and do good And we are supposed work. to praise one another, but we're not to, supposed to justify anyone in that way. 
or pass sentence on anyone or prefer one to one to another. Whether it's the farmer, the nun, or the Carthusian monk, the question is, do I judge them and place them in relationship to God as better or worse? No, I can't do that, but I can always find a way to praise them. So Luther has this, he goes to the five foolish virgins, virgins in Matthew 25. He talks about the two small copper coins uh, in, in Mark 12. He talks about the sinful woman uh, exalted above the works of the Pharisees in Luke 7. And, and he says where God preferred small good works over great good works. And he gives these different examples. The common, the ordinary, the everyday. Yeah, and, and so what Luther comes to is praise all, honor them all equally, don't show preference, humble ourselves, exalt our neighbor above ourselves, but then at the end of the day, let God pass judgment. So it's going to be the Lord that will come, and he's the one that's going to disclose the things that are now hidden in darkness and the counsel of the heart. So that's more quote from 1 Corinthians 4. So if it's the Lord that's going to come and do all of this, there will come a time when those who are worthier, higher or better, those whose works are best, it, it will get revealed. But that's not going to be our task. It's not my lane to be able to point out who's the better guy or not. You know, one of the things, and we're talking about our, our uh, different positions here, and we both have positions where, where our lane is to judge. And The and management that you're in as a pastor with a number of staff here, yeah. There are some job performance evaluations that need to get done. And, and honestly, I think that is one of the least pleasant parts of my job. And I, it sounds like it's, you're in a similar situation. And, and then listen to this quote from Luther. He says, It is the most unchristian thing when someone judges and evaluates according to the outward life and works. And yet that's entirely <laughs> one of the things we're supposed to do. Right, right. And, and so it's, you know, this is, the, and in other places, Luther talks talks about people who are judges, who, literal judges in the Middle Ages, where they are saying, I'm sorry, your head's going to get cut off. You know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're going to go into the stocks for four days or whatever. You know, it's these, these terrible judgments. And Luther says, you know, every, a Christian judge in that position would prefer to be able to say, it's okay. I, you know, I'm, I want to forgive you. You know, it'll be, we'll, we'll work on this. We'll continue to work on it. So we got some two kingdom theology going on here. Exactly. So in the kingdom of the church, we are judged one another according to the gospel. In the kingdom of power, uh, the civic realm that we live in, we are judged according to the law. So while it may be the most unchristian thing when someone judges and evaluates according to outward life and works, in the church, it is the most unchristian thing to do that. Within the kingdom of power, it is within the responsibility or office or a state or vocation that a person is given where they may need to do that. And it's not that they become unchristian while they do it, and then later on they become Christian. It's just the recognition that we live in two kingdoms. Well, and it's uh, to maintain order actually opens up the door. For, it maintains the order so that the gospel can be, can be proclaimed. So Paul here isn't writing about the kingdom of power. He's, he is not. He's looking at the relationship we have in church. And to kind of move back into that concept of the fact that he's talking about the church, he uses the struggle of a Carthusian. So Carthusian monks, I did not know much about this, so I needed to read about this. 
Carthusian monasteries uh, lived, were structured in a very cloistered way. Still are. And still are. So architecturally, it will be designed where each Carthusian monk will have its own cell with a bed and a, a place to eat. And they will eat um, on their own, except for Sundays, uh, particular feast days, or the gathering of a memorial for a Carthusian monk who had died. There will be lay servants who will deliver food to a little window um, won't talk, won't speak, won't touch, won't see the Carthusian monk. The monk will just get the tray of food from an anonymous servant, eat the food, and all of it is private. And all of it is, uh, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's cordoned off from reality. <laughs> and, and what it, it's Luke, so different, and, so and strange. Luke, yeah, and, and the thing is, is that, and you have to sort of think about in Luther's age, in his day, the Carthusian monks were seen as the best of the best. They were super holy. They were admired and... Not distracted by the world, living entirely in relationship to God. So when Luther brings up the Carthusians, what he's... Every time I... And I, I guess I, 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 he's really bringing up that sort of an extreme version of, of boasting in our faith is sort of or the temptation of boasting about our goodness that that's so and this is a this is a perfect example when we're talking about being good but how god sees us what luther is saying that even these carthusian monks who are you know by middle ages standards so good that how could you ever judge that carthusian monk against the heart of a farmer to know which one's humble or better you and I cannot see into the conscience of either of those two servants. Right. All right, so earlier in this episode, you said you love how Luther brings up the lives of the saints and how people just don't know that vocabulary of the saints anymore. And then I commented about how Luther uses Scripture and brings a shared foundation of what Scripture says. And then he goes back to a shared conversation or plot or narrative that everyone holds in common about the saints. This is our moment, Mike. Now, this is exactly the story I was thinking of, as a matter of fact. I'm glad it was in this episode. And so here he talks about St. Anthony, who was told, and this sounds like it would be a, a vision of a sort, who was told that a tanner at Alexandria, a poor married laborer who did nothing special, was far above St. Anthony because of the humility of his heart. And this is one of the great stories that if there you know, the only reason I would like to drag back some of the old saint stories is exactly for this one. <laughs> this, this specific story that Luther loved, I happen to love The saint also. stories are supposed to be windows into God's grace, and that's what St. Anthony's story is here. It's not that you look at St. Anthony, you see how high and above he was from you, but rather see how even St. Anthony needed to learn a lesson about a tanner in Alexandria to be reminded that God sees the heart, not the outward works. And, and that St. Anthony, the, the great saint of his era, the whole, the whole world, the whole, middle, the whole, we'll say, European world knew of St. Anthony and how great he, of a saint he was. And at the same time, there's this unknown tanner who, in God's eyes, is, is above him. And as high as St. Anthony is, he said the second one is probably the best in the entire lives of the saints, was Paphnutius, who had a strict life, 
but was told that his life was equal to a piper and to two different married women. And so Luther points out how God provided a special grace that these two examples would learn that in their monkery at its height and all of their works exquisite, they needed to be kept from trying to judge and pass sentence on the works of others. They instead needed to submit themselves to one another, to place themselves, as you listed earlier, praise everybody, honor everybody equally, don't show a preference, humble yourself, exalt your neighbor above yourself, and let God do the judgment. Yeah, yeah. So then, starting in uh, uh, paragraph number 57, uh, Luther launches into an attack on the Carthusians, the monasteries, the convents, the papacy. He's just, uh, and I guess I, I'm so used to this with Luther, I just sort of skip over it. <laughs> right. Maybe you picked up something. So let's just realize he has a lot of criticism of the secular grandness being brought into the church. And he says that our spiritual estate, our true spiritual relationship is for God alone to judge who is spiritual, who is the best. And uh, so don't look for who's got the shaved head or the long robes. He says that's just an absurdity and a caprice. But the question is, if that's all so, if that's true, this is one of those rhetorical questions that he goes on to answer. But if that's true, then it would be better if we were to run out of the monasteries and chapters. And he answers, yeah, do that. <laughs> um, either He says, you've got a choice. Either you stay in the monasteries and the chapters, and if you do choose that, then you've got to get rid of this epistle from Paul. It's funny because... Um, or you get out of the monasteries and chapters and you keep this epistle of Paul. One of the things um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer... Uh, in uh, cost of discipleship, he he begin in that beginning section. He goes into the monasteries. He has a section where he discusses the monasteries, and he says, you know, the monasteries were were put together originally to condemn the church because the church had become so secular, so bound up in the world, and that this was this was an attack on the church, according to Bonhoeffer. And, and that the church was smart, that it sort of, sort of brought it under its wing and, and made it as part of its whole system and said, oh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll use your holiness to help us out. You know? and, and, and so, you know, and this is in Luther's day, the, the monasteries had become just as corrupted as the church. You know, and, and so Luther is attacking this. And it's sort of interesting. I think Luther also carries that same... When he looks back at St. Anthony, I think St. Anthony started one of the monasteries, one of the monastic movements, and, and the, you know, these different saints who started this stuff. He doesn't have a whole lot of bad things to say about them personally. He, his attacks tend to be more on the, the, the modern monastery of his era, I should say, the yeah. Middle Ages monastery. So it's, it, I don't know if, if Luther agreed with Bonhoeffer, but that's, that's sort of a, something I think about all the time is, you know, these the way the church used the attack on the uh, an attack on the church to its own benefit. We're going to close up this epistle with looking at this phrase: "Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart?" That phrase, "now hidden in darkness, and the purposes of the heart." Luther explains this kind of phrase of uh, it's in paragraph sixty four. These things of hidden in darkness and the purpose of the heart. And he identifies these with the will, 
and reason. The counsel of the heart is our reason and the things hidden in darkness is our will. You don't understand what motivates me. That's my will. Nor can you understand how my heart has identified what I should do or shouldn't do, whether it's for profit of man or profit of myself or if I'm doing it entirely in service, that you and I will never know the will, the motivation, or the reason or logic of another person of why they're doing what they're doing. It's hard enough to figure it out for ourselves. And so if God's going to judge that, no one should presume to be able to do that for another. So the things that God judges are our will, are our reason, and our own intention could be deep, it could be deceitful, it could be holy and glorious. You and I are never able to entirely know the other person's conscience. Right. And right. so the alarming dark intention or motive of the heart could cause us to place ourselves in subjection to another, uh, could cause us to elevate another. It could do all sorts of things, but leave that judgment to God. So there's, and he does talk a lot about this in that same section. He talks about um, using the will and, and loving others and, and doing good things, but the hoping to get honor or property or whatever, you know, hoping to get stuff for these good works that we do, either in this world or the next. And, and this, this, this is, again, when, when we talk about judging, you know, and I, I don't, I'm trying to remember if Luther, I'm, I'm, if Luther touches on this, but we often don't know ourselves mm-hmm. why we do what we do. And Paul talks about that in Romans. I, I don't know why I do the things I do, but that's, so let's. And he does. He goes on to talk about um, trying to diligently warn yourself that uh, your eyes and your intentions, your conscience, there is some interaction between them all to always kind of have a sense of evaluation. Where is your eye leading you? What is your intention? What is your will? And always go back to that understanding that you may have thought you had a great day, but know in the end, your faith must rely not on how good your day was. Your faith must rely on how pure and strong God's grace is. I want to get one final quote from Luther. All of that is said about the hidden dealings of darkness, which cannot be helped other than through despair of our own works and strong faith in the pure grace of God. Pure grace of God. That's what we've got to rely on. That's all we got. All right, so you've listened to episode 76 where we have looked at Luther's Postal for the third Sunday in Advent. This was our third episode looking at this third Sunday in Advent epistle. Uh, We had our beer break with the marshmallow drip. We hope uh, you enjoy the drip of Grace on Tap coming out through your podcast application. And that no matter what app you're using, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Grace on Tap podcast.com is our website we have a facebook page you can find grace on tap and look for luther and a little beer and that'll be our logo so yeah if, if uh and if you have anything you'd like us to talk about we, we're always looking for suggestions prost prost <laughs>